Hello, welcome to our podcast series, Beyond the Diagnosis, focusing on embracing life after cancer through Sanford Health survivorship programs. I'm your host, Courtney Collin, with Sanford Health News. We're so glad you're here. Once a patient hears those words, you have cancer, that patient becomes a survivor. Through my conversations with health providers on topics related to survivorship, we're learning more about how Sanford continues its commitment to help people live their best life beyond the diagnosis. Our topic today is oncofertility. I'm so pleased to have not just one, but two experts on this topic. Dr. Shelby Terstrip, a medical oncologist at the Sanford Roger Maris Cancer Center in Fargo, specializing in breast cancer and survivorship care. And Dr. Keith Hansen, a specialist in obstetrics, fertility, and reproductive medicine in Sioux Falls. Doctors, thank you both so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much. Dr. Terstrip, as the medical director of the Sanford Cancer Survivorship Program, you have really led these efforts from the very beginning. Give us an overview of what the survivorship program is all about. Well, I guess what I found out in training was that uh, the cancer treatment is just such a very minute part of a person's life. And really, you know, all the other things that go along with the diagnosis, um, really, we can really um, help improve those things along the way as well. And so what survivorship is, it's really focusing on well-being, a person's well-being. It's, you know, the physical, the mental, emotional, um, the social and financial well-being. So really taking a look at the other things beyond the cancer treatment. Now, the Cancer Survivorship Program, what we really focus on is listening to the cancer survivors and having them tell us what they think they're missing along their journey. And then we really focus on efforts, our efforts on creating programs to help address those issues. And, and one of those issues has been oncofertility. And so I'm really pleased to be able to talk about some of the things that we are doing to help improve the, that process for our patients. And again, our topic today is oncofertility. What is oncofertility? It's really the intersection between oncology treatment and a person's fertility and their desire to have children. And so we know that cancer treatment can affect fertility in some cases. And so our goal with oncofertility is really to think about those cases and try to address that before those treatments happen so that we we can uh, make sure that those patients can accomplish their family planning desires. Dr. Hansen, how does cancer affect somebody's fertility? Well, thanks for asking. It's not really the cancer per se that affects the fertility, but the treatments. You know, and many of the treatments are directed at rapidly dividing cells. That's why they work so well, because cancers are kind of uncontrolled division And so these cancer therapies like radiation and chemotherapy can actually have a, you know, usually are directed towards rapidly dividing cells. And one of the the areas in the body that has cells that are dividing include the ovary and the testicle. And so they also, besides um, getting rid of treating the cancer itself, they also have side effects where they can damage other organs like the testicle and the ovary. The other thing is for certain cancers, like GYN cancers, you know, the surgery itself can be damaging to the ovaries, like, or if they go in, like, let's say it's ovarian cancer and they have to remove an ovary and and take samples out of the other ovary, 
that reduces the amount of ovary that the woman has and can actually impact her fertility too. What options do patients have for preserving their fertility before beginning a cancer treatment? Well, that's a great question, and there's a lot of different options available depending on the type of cancer and also the, um, the type of treatment that is planned and what's going on. Mm-hmm. One example is in many of our young girls that have, um, you know, possi- have a big ovarian tumor, you know, what a lot of times the GYN oncologist will try to do is go in and try to do a ovarian preserving um, surgery so that they can hopefully save the ovary, save part of the, the, the actively, you know, the part of the ovary that has the eggs in it, sure. or at least save the other ovary so that we can have um, future fertility possibly. Um, and then if they're planning to do radiation, especially if they're planning to do pelvic radiation or low back radiation, one of the things are, we can do is we can actually move the ovaries up out of the out of the radiation field. Now, the other, you know, most of the patients who come in though are planning to do either chemotherapy or radiation therapy. And for chemotherapy, there's a couple of different options available. First of all, you know, the chemotherapy has adverse effects upon the ovary, and those adverse effects depend on a number of factors, one of them being the age. You know, a young prepubertal girl's ovaries are a lot more resistant to chemotherapy than a postpubertal girl, and a 19-year-old woman's ovaries are much better, are more resistant to chemotherapy than a 29-year-old girl whose are much more resistant than Mm -hmm. a 39-year-old girl. So as the ovaries have reduced number of eggs with the natural process of aging, they become more sensitive to the effects of chemotherapy. So what can we do? Well, one of the options that available is, and probably one of the ones that's most accepted, is to do in vitro fertilization and go in and retrieve eggs and then either freeze eggs if, um, or if they have like a husband or want to use donor sperm, we can fertilize the eggs and then freeze embryos. The nice thing about freezing embryos is it take, the embryos are a lot more resistant to the freezing thawing process than eggs are, so it mm-hmm. takes a lot more eggs to achieve a pregnancy than it does embryos. So one of the processes is to do in vitro fertilization, retrieve eggs, and then um, uh, either freeze, freeze them or fertilize them and freeze as embryos. The only problem with that is we need time. You know, we need at least probably 8 to 10 days to stimulate the ovary, and take the eggs out. We've made a lot of advances in that we've done, we now are able to stimulate the ovaries at pretty much any time in the menstrual cycle to try to speed that process up. Um, Another, so that's one option. Another option is to use a drug like Lupron or lupulide acetate, which is what's called a GnRH agonist. And what it does is it kind of induces a prepubertal state. Now, what that is trying to do is reduce the number of cells that are dividing actively in the ovary. And by doing that, then, excuse me, then we can, um, hopefully they'll become more resistant to the chemotherapy as long as they don't get a huge dose of chemotherapy. Um, and hopefully they'll survive the, um, the um, process of the therapy. 
the night the other nice thing about it is one of the problems that can happen in young girls who get chemotherapy is their white counts can drop their platelet counts can drop they can have very very heavy periods and so the lupron or the lupulide acetate the GnRH agonist actually can stop their periods during this process of chemotherapy and actually stabilize them so they don't get into trouble with very, very heavy periods. So we kind of like that drug, and we can even combine that with in vitro if we need to. Another process that's available is to actually freeze the ovary, you know, when they, Mm -hmm. but you have to go to surgery to do that. You do a laparoscopy or, you know, where we put the incision in the belly button, put the scope in. We take out an ovary, you only just remove one in case the patient's, you know, doesn't, in case the other ovary will survive the chemotherapy. And by doing that, then we can um, freeze the ovary, which we usually have to mince it up into small pieces, and then we can freeze it. Um, And then later, when the person is done with their chemo, you can thaw out the pieces and put them back into the pelvis. The only problem with that is you better be absolutely sure that there's no metastatic disease or any cancer cells in that ovary before mm-hmm. you put it back in. Wow. And yeah. we don't have good ways to test that now. We're working on it, but we don't have good ways. The other thing they're working on um, is they're trying to make it so they can stimulate the, the eggs out of the ovary and then without in vitro, you know, take the ovary, thaw it out, stimulate the eggs, and then retrieve the eggs and fertilize them and put them back in the woman's um, uterus without ever, you know, without having to put them back in her body, just do it outside the body. And so those are really kind of the big areas for a woman. A guy, you know, a male who's getting ready to do chemotherapy, we can do a, you know, have him give us a semen sample and then we can cryopreserve it. And I think the bottom line for us as an oncologist is to really think about it right away and and make the referrals right away so that we can um, not waste any time. And I think most of the time we have eight days before, you know, we really need to start treatment. So I think it's really, you know, it's really a change in our pattern of, of thought processes to think fertility first and then treatment second. Which is great. I mean, when you think about it is we've come that far with cancer treatment that we're really concerned about them having kids afterwards. I mean, I think that's a testament to oncology advancement. If a newly diagnosed cancer patient has concerns or questions about fertility, when is the best time to have that conversation? The moment they're diagnosed. (laughs) And who should it be with? I mean, our navigators are one of the first people that um, are discussing their overall kind of who they're all going to be seeing. I think it's appropriate to start addressing it with the navigator and their oncologist right away. Let's talk about after cancer treatment. When is it appropriate for a cancer survivor to, to have children? Let's talk about that process. Well, we usually work in concert with the um, the hematologist, oncologist, and, you know, find out from them how long they think the patient needs to wait with no evidence of disease before they try to conceive. We also chat with the, um, or and have the patient meet with the maternal fetal medicine doctors who are our high-risk OBGYN doctors, and they help us, you know, and then we, of course, meet with the patient, and all of us together sort of help the patient decide when they you know, when they should start to try to get pregnant. And we discuss, 
you know, like, especially with breast cancer patients, when can we safely start them on estrogen? Because mm -hmm. pregnancy has a lot of estrogen in it. So, you know, so we do communicate a lot with people. And, and I think it's very different depending on cancer and depending on the age of the person. It's, it's really dependent. You know, we think of cancer as really thousands of different diseases. And so each of those diseases have a different likelihood of recurrence and, um, and, and a difference in how fertility could impact that. If we're talking about considering fertility preservation, is there any financial assistance available or how might somebody go about looking into that? That's a great question. Um, we've actually, you know, one of the problems is that, you know, a lot of these procedures are expensive mm -hmm. and they're, um, a lot of times the insurance companies won't cover them. Yeah. We're actually in the process, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine and a number of other groups are in the process of trying to get states to mandate insurance coverage for oncofertility because a lot of the insurance companies will come back and say, well, you can't, we don't cover infertility. Well, this is not infertility. This is preserving fertility. Mm -hmm. And they've already got a number of states to mandate um, coverage. But right now in, in our area and in a lot of places, it's not covered by insurance. So we have to work, we work with a lot of, um, of groups like we work with Fertile Hope you know, and they help to um, sometimes fund part of it. We've talked with Sanford, and they're willing to to give us a write-off or ready to reduce the cost of the procedures that we do. So they're really willing to work with us to try to help these people, you know, to be able to achieve this process because it really does help them, I think, improve their mood, improve their ability. Because when I meet with a lot of these gals and, um, you know, Dr. Terstrip might be better at answering this, but a lot of them, you know, after we talk to them and we say, you know, they just go from crying to happy that there's a possibility that they might be able to preserve their fertility in the future. So we do a lot of things to try to help them, you know, to, to um, get help with covering it um, and such. We also work with, um, like, if they decide to do Lupron to shut everything off, a lot of the AbbVie, who makes it is willing to help cover it for us and stuff. So we, we do a lot of work with those groups. We make every effort to try to make it as, as affordable as possible for our cancer survivors. But I think it's a, it's a problem and I, we're, we're, we've been really strongly advocating in the, um, in the States to try to get this funded. But in the meantime, until that happens, you know, one of the easiest and quickest things that we have been successful with is really using GoFundMes for these patients. These patients will, um, you know, people want to know how they can help. And that is a peer-to-peer -peer fundraising has been really effective for this. It's, you know, not what we want to have to do. We'd rather have insurance cover it. But when, when it's a matter of somebody getting this treatment before or not getting it because of financial reasons, it's, it's pretty effective. If a patient undergoing cancer treatment does not wish to pursue fertility preservation, what other family planning options might be available to them? Well, first of all, you know, some people will go through chemotherapy and they will still maintain perfect fertility. So, I mean, it's not always sterilizing. Um, now it depends, you know, once again, you can get doses that are always sterilizing both of chemo and radiation therapy, but, mm -hmm. um, some of the chemotherapies are a lot less sterilizing. Um, 
there are a lot of different options. I mean, for, you know, one option if it's the male and one of the, you know, donor sperm is, is always an option for them to use. Um, the other, if it's the female, one of the things we can do is use donor eggs, you know, and there's two, there's really two major ways you can do donor eggs. One is if you have a known donor, you know, like, like a sister who wants to donate her eggs to her, we can go in and stimulate her ovaries, take the eggs out, fertilize them with her husband's sperm, and then put the embryo back up in, and that has a very, very good fertility rate. There's wow. actually now what are called donor egg pool, you know, kind of donor egg groups where they actually have, um, you know, cohorts of eggs that have been cryopreserved from young, usually college-age women who go through the process and will freeze their eggs. So it's kind of like an egg bank as compared to a sperm bank. And you can actually purchase them, and they can send them up to us. We can thaw them out, fertilize them, and then put them up inside and inside the uterus, and the gal can have a baby that way. There's um, donor um, embryos where couples that have went through in vitro fertilization and let's say have triplets and they have leftover embryos are like, <laughs> you know, we're done. And they decide they can give them to other couples and it's, they can have a baby that way. There's adoption. Um, mm -hmm. And then finally, there's some very interesting studies going on. A guy at McGee Women's Hospital is doing with um, trying to reconstitute the um, gonads, either the um, testicle or the ovary. And he's been successful in reconstituting the the male rat's gonad, which is kind of science, amazingly science fiction, oh. from basically from the skin stem cells. Mm. So who knows what will happen in the future. But, yeah, so there are other options that are available and things that can be done. Thank you. Let's talk about the Onco Fertility Navigation Program at Sanford Health now. Dr. Terstrup, tell me about this navigation program, what it is, and how did it start? Well, this it really started as a as a um, solution to what our cancer survivors were telling us that were holes in their care, and what they felt was there was we needed to have a bridge between um, the reproductive endocrinology department and the oncologist, um, and what this navigator will do is really help to assist with education and help with um, some of the financial issues so that that is not a barrier for them having to um, even be referred to reproductive endocrinology because we know a lot of times they won't even go to that appointment because they're worried about the financial issues. And then the other thing is, is really collaborating between the two departments, facilitating that collaboration. And then finally, you know, one of the things that we heard loud and clear from the cancer survivors were that, you know, it's very hard for them to bring up when should they use their embryos or their frozen sperm or when should they think about having more kids because they really felt when they were in the oncologist, if the oncologist wasn't bringing it up, they should just be thankful that their cancer wasn't back and that it probably wasn't the right time to be thinking about that because their oncologist wasn't talking about that. When reality, you know, often as oncologists, we think, well, they'll bring it up if it's, if it's important. And so it was just a little, you know, one of those kind of miscommunication type of um, moments that can happen. And 
And so what that navigator will do to really help to keep the family planning front and center until um, those cancer survivors feel that their family is complete. Um, so we're really excited about this program and really think that that will help bridge that um, gap that our survivors were seeing. And this is really something that is you know, innovative and not being done everywhere. And I think when we start to really, you know, as we start to really listen to the cancer survivors, we really can come up with these innovative programs to meet needs, you know, before anyone else can. At what point does a patient get involved in the fertility navigation program? And talk about what that looks like. So, you know, I will, I can give you an example of even yesterday, I had a patient who was going to be starting breast cancer treatment. And so wanted, I wanted to get her in to see reproductive endocrinology. And so I had the navigator come down and help to educate them about that process and about some of the financial issues and how can they help to alleviate some of those issues. And then after they were seen by reproductive endocrinology, they worked with their team there to make sure that I knew when the eggs were going to be harvested, when I could be starting chemotherapy, and how would that go. Um, And so now we have, um, she will be starting treatment um, after the eggs are uh, uh, harvested. And then we will, then our navigator will keep in keep in touch with her and we will make a plan for when it will be appropriate for um, this this person to start having to start thinking about having kids and and um, implanting those embryos and so then the navigator will touch base with her um, at those times to start that process and you know make sure that I'm thinking about that as well and Dr. Hansen, we were talking earlier about uh, pediatric oncofertility we're not just talking about adults who are cancer survivors and looking at potentially having children in the future. Talk about what you're seeing in the pediatric space. Well, very similar to adults. You know, there have been a lot of of, um, progression in the treatment of cancer in children. And now upwards of 80, 85% of those kids survive. And, of course, when you have that many children that are surviving chemotherapy, radiation therapy, it does increase the risk of having um, having infertility or sterility. And so, and that of course is really important when they get older. So, um, the heart, the issue with the, um, children is the, you know, prepubertal, it's a little more difficult because of course they're not making actually gametes at that point. So the ovaries are totally quiet. They're not making eggs. The, um, testicle is quiet. They're not making sperm. So people are looking into potential ways to help in those kids, that especially those that have to have very high levels of do- of chemotherapy or radiation therapy. And the way that people, what's being investigated now is either taking a biopsy or an entire ovary out of the young girl and possibly t- taking a biopsy or an entire testicle out of the young guy and then hopefully be able to use the cells that are within the testicle or within the ovary to reconstitute the testicle or ovary after they've gone through all their chemotherapy and help them to be able to, you know, reverse their um, sterility and help them to be able to go through a natural puberty and stuff. It's still very, it's still considered, you know, experimental. Mm -hmm. Once they go through puberty, though, then they have the other options that we've already talked about for a postpubertal person. It's a little bit different, though, because of all the stuff 
you know, it's a lot to go through for a young woman anyway. And I think these are situations where the navigation is going is so critical because these kids are so young and they have many years before they're even thinking about starting to have families. And so to even know where you know, where their tissue may be stored sometimes can be forgotten. And so I think the navigation program will really help to alleviate some of that stress for these these young kids. Yeah, Dr. Terstrip, what is it like for you to see cancer and reproductive endocrinology teams working together to address these concerns and really give patients even more specialized fertility care? Oh, I mean, it is absolutely awesome. I mean, when you see a cancer survivor bringing their new baby into the clinic with you, it is, you know, it's one of those days that you cry happy tears. I mean, it is absolutely some of my favorite days that I work in in the cancer clinic. Oh, love that. So if somebody has questions or might be looking for resources, where should they begin? Yeah, I mean, I think the cancer survivorship program in each region has navigators who um, who have cancer survivorship navigators who they can um, be put into contact with, and then we will we can take it from there and help to facilitate those referrals and conversations. You know, we've had a, a navigator that's started to work with us, and she's wonderful to have. I mean, it's it's really nice to have somebody to you know to bridge the mm-hmm. the large gap between or the gap. I don't know that large is true, but the gap between the oncologist and us and then allow for better communication because, you know, to find out, well, what treatment are they planning and then tell them what, you know, and so it really is a a very, very nice um, program. And I think it, I think it'll really help our patients by letting them know, you know, what's available and somebody to just kind of keep track of everything because, man, it's really complicated. And I think one thing to note too is, you know, we have our reproductive endocrinologists practice state-of-the-art care that, and they are so incredibly responsive to our cancer um, patients. I mean, everything, you know, I would say they would drop, you know, they would drop everything, you know, extend their hours to get to get these patients in. And I think we are so lucky to have that type of expertise, but also that care and compassion that they they bring. Yeah, so important. And what other areas of support would you recommend for cancer survivors? An additional area of support that cancer survivors can utilize is our Facebook um, Sanford Health Cancer Survivorship page. On that is an area that we really drive um, all of our events, information, our educational uh, efforts, and our cancer survivorship retreats. Um, so it's a kind of a one-stop shop for you to be able to get information. So we'd love for you to connect with us so that we can keep you informed of new and exciting um, programs and, and, and um, educational uh, series. Well, I learned a lot today, Dr. Terstrip, Dr. Hansen. Thank you both so much for your expertise and for teaching us more about the Oncofertility Navigation Program at Sanford Health. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This has been another episode of our Cancer Survivorship Podcast Series, Beyond the Diagnosis. I'm Courtney Collin. Thanks for being here. Have a great day.